Hey boys, how we doing? Boys. Legends. I still got a mouth I still got a mouthful of popped up. I'm taking our phone. Oh. So if anyone has seen the thumbnail, MG's holding up a pop tart. Mm. Um, what flavor you got there? Cookies and cream. We spoke about it last week just before we went on on last week's episode. Remember, we we're talking about how I'm struggling to get food down, and you yeah. suggested pop tarts. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, I know what they are, but I've never really had one. Yeah. So, of course, you mentioned that I'm in the shops. I walk past them; they're fresh in my brain. I'm like, yeah, I'll grab a pack. There's so many flavors now. There's heaps. Macros so are reasonably many. easy. So I'm like, how am I going to incorporate it? So I've got a couple. I did. I, I do mix them with yogurt, heated, mm. and then I, I did do one the other night with low-fat ice cream too. Yeah. So do you eat them dry or do you toast them? I've been doing both, man. Like obviously the yeah. ones that I'm eating right now are just dry straight out of the packet. But yeah. I would say the majority I've been toasting. Because when you toast them, they just get soft and gooey in the inside. Yeah, and like I think they're, I think they're like two grams of protein, four and a half of fat, and about thirty-six carb. Carb, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're pretty good. Less than ten grams of fat if you have two. And I think um, on the packet it says, "Is it nine vitamins and minerals?" No, I didn't even did it. Does it really say that? I think so. I, I wonder what the health star rating is. It's probably like a five. <laughs> probably like a five, I reckon. Actually, talking about heating stuff up, do you ever heat up protein bars in the microwave? I, just don't, like just I, I have in the past for sure. I have in the past. I just haven't eaten one for ages, man. Like it yeah. It's like the last thing you ever want to eat. Someone gave me one the other day. And I'm not a, like, I don't like protein bars either, but someone gave me one and I was like, I'm going to put this in the microwave for 10 seconds. Yeah. And it just gooeyed it up. So when you, you don't break it, it actually, you pull it apart. Yeah. Yeah. Tastes pretty good. Um, Scotty, you missed out on Friday night, bro. You missed right. out. It was the biggest, it was the best crew. We had 11 of us go, right? We all rocked up, went to Suvo's, and afterwards we went to Mamalina's, had a coffee and a crumacito. Um, But Michael's favorite was there, Sophia, which is yeah. my, um, my best mate's daughter. She's only four months old. Yeah, I saw that. So you could imagine 11 guys... And, you know, a bunch of us bodybuilders too, so yeah, it's always with, even funnier. With a half-Asian-looking baby. Right? One, one. That was literally we're passing around the table all night. Like, yeah. so, we're that's so good. The, the, the people are coming up. They're like, whose kid, whose kid is this? You know this? how many Instagram messages I got? Like, oh, congratulations. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, man. Oh, she's so know. cute, though. She's, she's, so, cute. she's so cute and so well-behaved. Yes. So you missed out, Scotty. You've got to come next time. Yeah. Well, are we getting a suit on Friday? Yeah. Yeah. I just couldn't make last Friday. I, I told you boys what I told you boys why I had a uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't get out of. But um, but I'm having withdrawals. There's been a couple of weeks since my last suit. I know. I know man, yeah. you're missing out. I and think we might have a few extra this week. Now we've confirmed that it's gluten free. Yeah. yeah so they're 100. percent Everything's everything's gluten free. You just they just don't have the the actual pitas, yeah. but all their meats and their sauces are all gluten free. Yeah, so. yeah, man, right. yeah, awesome, man. I'm looking forward to it. You guys have hyped this up, so hopefully it's good. Jimbo, yeah. you, want to tell, you want to tell everyone where we'll be? Um, so it's D Suvalaki, Hood Street, Airport West. It used to be a Suvalaki van that was like, you know, on the side of the road on the street somewhere. But then because it got so popular, they decided to move it into a factory and then fit the factory out around it. So the van is actually sitting in the factory, right? In the middle of the factory. But then they've got, they've built like a, a fridge next to it that has, and like a little bar that has all the alcohol. And it has on the other side of it, it has like built um, like a little cafe with a, a coffee machine. And then there's all tables and chairs. And then, yeah, it's awesome. It's like, so they just plonk the, <laughs> plonk the, the van inside the factory, but they've built, a, they've built everything around it. It's pretty cool. It gets, it gets very busy too, so... Yeah, it's gonna be awesome, bro. I'm looking forward to it. It's gonna be the highlight of my week. Yeah, I um, I know you know this, but I uh, signed up at a gym, so mm-hmm. I haven't had a gym membership since the start of COVID. Pretty much, um, during COVID, you know, set up a home gym, and I've been training there ever since. Through the prep, like everything was all training at a home gym, and it was fine, and it done me well, and I enjoyed it. But um, and I've been really picky about signing up at a gym. Because I've just been so comfortable at home. It's been great. And, um, yeah, that gym opened up 
uh, it's been a while. It's been open for maybe about a year, I think. And um, tested out a couple of times and it's close to home and I love it. So it's got brand new equipment. That's the first time I've gone to a gym, tried a hip thrust machine, and I'm actually like, this is pretty good. This you, is- so you rate the, ma- the Matrix piece? The Matrix hip thrust machine is good. And I'll tell you why. Because the pad that goes on your hips, mm-hmm. you can actually move it away from you or towards you, right? When normally they're fixed. So as you're thrusting up, you know, when with the bar path, you thrust up. It's not you know, straight up and down. It comes back a little bit and you, you're able to maneuver it on your hips. This pad does that. It, it, you can move it towards you or away from you. So, And the front pad's really, really big. The back pad is big and it's like on an angle. So you can choose how far up and down you want to be on it. I was pretty impressed. I was pretty impressed with it, to be honest. But yeah, the mm-hmm. whole gym is set up with matrix equipment. Um, what did you think of the pin-loaded stuff? The pin-loaded stuff's good. It counts the reps for you and it counts the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which so is they've cool, got but- they've got two different ranges in there. They've got their top-tier platinum range and their next one down, which yeah. is still awesome. But they've got a mixed bunch of pieces there. When I went out there with the um, Corey, the, uh, the matrix rep, just to have a look at some of their stuff... Um, I was really impressed. It's amazing. Even their um, their their multi station, it's huge near the cardio so area. That's so that's one thing I love, and I always ask clients when they go to the gym, tell me if their multi station. So like we're talking about where it has the cable crossover, and then it has a seat mm-hmm. right on one side, a lap pull down on the other side. I always ask, is it double cables, right? So mm-hmm. double cables where you pull from all the the whole station because it's a double station. It's got like yeah. it's all double cable. It's amazing, mm-hmm. right? It's awesome. I love it, and they have. And I tried this the other day. You know the fixed tricep um, cable where you put your back up against the pad and yeah, you yeah, yeah. almost right, old school, above your head, right? I haven't done that in years. I was like, yeah, it's it's old school, cool. you know, mm-hmm. I, couldn't, I could hardly lift much. It was crazy. Yeah, um, it's good. No, it's a it's a phenomenal good. gym, man. They got some great pieces. Yeah, and the, I was really wary about the hack squat because I'm really fussy with the with hack squats. And it was good, man. Like you can get really good depth. Full position's great. I was like, this is yeah, I'm I'm enjoying this. So yeah, it was it's good. So this week's my first full week there. I'm gonna do all my sessions there. So I'm looking forward to NRG gym in Essendon. Awesome. The only thing I don't know whether you you've noticed in their racks, just their pull ups, um, the pull up bars in the racks. Have you noticed how thick the handles are? But like the lap pull down bars and stuff? No, no, no. So they're in their squat racks. You know how they have all the, the racks on the side? Oh, uh, yep. Yeah, so the handles for pull-ups, they're just they're gigantic. They're really, really thick. I haven't noticed, but I'll... T- yeah, I'll check that out. I know, that was one of the things that I, I had a look at because I was comparing them to Iron Edge to Hammer. Yeah. Um, but no, it's yeah, it's a beautiful gym. Really clean, neat, immaculate. Yeah. Yeah. That's no, good. Yeah, it's awesome. It's really, really good. And then uh, also on the weekend, there was a posing workshop, uh, ICM posing workshop that um, Donna ran on on the Sunday. Taylor's Lakes at uh, Peak Fitness, which was cool. The gym wasn't massive. Uh, it had some really good, equi- like weird pieces. I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. Like you would never expect a piece of equipment in there like that. But they had a lot of recovery stuff. They had a uh, sauna, cold plunge, and um, uh, an altitude room. They had some different cool stuff, but it was good. I think one thing that Donna did in that class, which I really, I said to her, that was, an, that was really good that you did that, is... Um, they had someone that actually was dressed like a competitor, like full spray tander, did the hair and makeup. She had her bikini on, the whole, all the, like, as if she was jump, about to jump on stage. It was great because first timers had a look to see what a competitor actually looks like, which was great. But what she did, which I think was really good, is she actually got that person, that competitor, to be in front of the class. And then Donna went through the poses and explained the reasons why. You put your leg this way, what angle, why you're trying to create taper, what you're trying to do. And I thought it was really good because some people just pose, but they don't really know why their foot's got to be there, why they should be on an angle, what, like, mm-hmm. what, are you, what's the illusion you're trying to create. And for her to explain that, I think was invaluable. So that was one really, really good thing that I liked about the session. Um, there was no other real coaches there, but I always recommend that if a coach is free and available and can to go to workshops, for sure. Were well, the boys as well or just the girls? The boys were after the girls and I saw a little bit of it and the, the guys are pretty good. I think the class was half the size. It was about 12 or 15 guys, whereas the girls was I think about 30. It was close mm-hmm. to 30. Um, the, pretty, the it's pretty normal, right? The guys never show up like the girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. But um, 
yeah, it was it was decent. It's a decent turnout. It's I, I'm excited. So the um the rookie show's coming up. That's the first one. Are all you boys going to it? No, yeah. I won't be. I'm going to be in um in Queensland. That's right. You're in Queensland. Um, I think we spoke about this, but for all the shows that we go to and attend, which would be most of them, um, I'm thinking that maybe we do like a, a review of the show after the show's done. So during our potty, we can kind of talk about the show, maybe talk about the overall winners and maybe special mentions of people that we saw on stage that thought we looked looked really good. Yeah, um, and that's a great idea, man. Yeah, you think it's a good idea? I think people would love to hear us do so, that as well. Mm, I think people would yep. love to hear us, hear us do that and just talk about the decisions as well as just like what ran like really well on the day. But yeah, I try and plan to go to pretty much every every show this season for season eight for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'd I'd be keen to we don't have anyone I don't have anyone competing there. Do you have anyone competing there, Mick? Yeah, I've got one. I've got two actually. Well I've got two within my team of coaches. Okay, cool. Yeah, sweet. So it'd be good because um I'd like to have a look at the competition, the lineups, and then come back on the potty and, and give some feedback to everyone and see see what everyone thinks. Yeah. Do you reckon, do we know, have any idea on the numbers? I feel like there's a lot of people that started out thinking they were going to do the rookies and they're like, well, maybe I'm not quite ready. And so now it's looking like they're going to do their first shot at the Melbourne. Yeah, it's so, hard yeah. to know, man, just because it is so much earlier than the rest. It's a funky <laughs> time, isn't it? It's so much mm. earlier than the rest. And I think a lot of people would have had that mindset is like, you know, all right, let's target that. But if we didn't end up doing it, it's not the end of the world because you've got so much opportunity. So I reckon it's just going to be one of those shows that you're not going to know till till the week of as to how many people have jumped in yeah. because posing workshops are going to be for the whole season. So you might have big numbers at posing workshops, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're all going to show up to the rookies. So yeah, and six weeks is a lot of time to continue to get in condition. Like yeah, and that's that's a, the thing. If you're looking at landing, like say I want my athlete to be ready at a hundred for their show one. And then I'm going to push all the way through to nationals. That's living like contest lean for three and a half months. Like it's too long. Mm-hmm. So you've got to pick your yeah. battles. And then you, you, you know, there's every chance that your physique's going to fade. It's so hard to be able to hold on to that and to, you know, not suffer any atrophy or, and also to just not want to hate life. Like being that shredded for that long, you know, it's pretty miserable. Unless you're Michael Trimboli. <laughs> and just like, loves to be it. Honest, I don't have anyone in that show for for those reasons. Is Me too. firstly, their first timer shows. It's a you know it's a rookie show. It's a it's a it's someone that's only competed a couple of times or not at all. And I generally don't want to put a rookie through dieting through the Christmas period, <laughs> right? Um, and also, too, is I like people doing more than one show, and it's just too far apart. So I've got majority of the team doing the later shows in season eight um, for that for that reason there. But I understand if someone only wants to do one show and they've got other time, there are other commitments later in season A and they can only really shoot for that one, then go ahead. I'd be interested to see the numbers. That's why I'm going. And also, it's at a new venue too. So I'll be really interested to see what that, that venue is like so we can get our head around it. So when we go there, we, uh, we're not, we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it'll, it'll be interesting. And then obviously, there's, you've got your workshop coming up too, MG, don't you? Yeah. So both March 11th, March 12th. Yep. Uh, the girls on Saturday and then the boys on Sunday with Maddie at the um, same venue we had it last time out in Fairfield, which is an awesome venue. Me and you went there the other day, actually, to the other studio yeah. where it's just like just like dance studios, right? But like soundproof windows, uh, mirrors all over the walls, square room as well, so like really yeah. easy to match presentation. Um, so, yeah, so that'll be the, the just the two workshops for Season A and then we'll actually run two in Season B, two guys, yeah. two girls. So Yeah, cool. That'll be awesome. Yeah, mm-hmm. so good. All right, we're ready to jump into some questions. Absolutely. Let's start off with uh, an easy one. Should you measure and track seasonings? Oh, boys. Yeah. Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah. It depends. Like, depends on what people are classing as seasonings, too, right? Tell us which ones would you and which one wouldn't you? Uh, so, like Italian herb and spices. <laughs> so that's a popular one. Yeah, I'm not tracking that. Nando's yeah. peri peri seasoning. I'm tracking that. Yeah. So so like let's so sauces. If we're talking sauces, yes, always, always. always. Right? If we're talking seasonings, like you know, dried and you sprinkle on top. I'd say track everything because that's just the way I am. But if you really had to pick, you need to track the ones that actually have calories in them because you've got to see they actually do. And don't look at the serving calories. Look at per hundred because. 
it's what you use over a long period of time that makes all the difference, right? Because that's all adds up. Uh, and the next thing is tracking it from a sodium perspective, right? Because, you know, we're all about tracking uh, your electrolytes too, and sodium is a big important part. And if you're using a certain seasoning one week and you're using a different seasoning another week, which doesn't have any sodium in it because you decide to go for Italian herbs and spices, right? <laughs> um, or mixed herbs, it's going to make a difference, right? So it's there, track it. Now, people are going to say, well, how do I track it when I only sprinkle a bit, right? So the way you would do that, and even when you do that, when you if you're tracking your salt, is you weigh the shaker, the container, the bottle, whatever it is, at the start of the day, and then you weigh it again at the end of the day, and you note down the difference, right? Yeah. And you can even get little um, salt scales that are a little bit more meticulous to the the sensitivity of obviously of what you're actually weighing. So we again, any serious. And, uh, What's that? Sorry, we call them the drug scales. The drug scales, yes, because yeah, they're like micro. They're micro scales. Yeah, the micro scales. That's exactly right. That's what yeah, we yeah. use to track the uh, the sodium. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, that's the easiest thing to do. Otherwise, you just weigh out whatever your if your coach says. I want you to have two thousand five hundred megs of sodium a day, um, which you work out to be okay. That's five grams of salt, whatever it is. Then at the start of the day, weigh it out. There's your little pouch of salt. Whatever you sprinkle on, once the day is out, there's your your salt slash sodium intake. Like it's really not that hard. But again, if we're talking about something that's coming in a packet and it has a nutritional representation on the back and it gives you the values and the intakes of what you're consuming, then yeah. why, why would you not track it? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. 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 Um, that's one thing that I noticed in in prep for myself is I swapped some seasonings out because I was like, there's a bit of cows in this one and it's pretty high in sodium. I'm going to swap this out for something different. So once you start to take notice, you'll, um, you, you might change some of your habits for sure. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Got a question. <laughs> what is a sumo and where do I get one? <laughs> a sumo? Yes. Sumo. <laughs> I think they're meant to type Suvo. But... Oh, they actually said Sumo. I thought yeah. you said Suvo. Let's address where do you find a Sumo, Shimboli. Please so answer Sumo that. Sumo, you would find in Japan. When I went to Japan in my past life, um, I was in a restaurant and I thought I was out of place because I was in a little small village and I walked in the only white guy and then there was this one Sumo in there. Beast, like massive dude, right? So, yeah, if you're looking for a sumo, most likely in Japan. Um, yeah, and it, it, the actual backstory to that is the reason why Trimboli's never trained at a gym and why he's trained at home is because he wears the little sumo costume when he trains. <laughs> I wear the nappy. He wears the nappy. That's why he doesn't go to public gyms because it is pretty embarrassing. I've trained with him before. Um, I like to, I wrap I a towel around him every time he does the set. It's really it's really awkward. It's a little overwhelming the first time you see it. I was I personally was. Oh, bro, what about that time he did barbell ADLs? I mean, you were like, what the? <laughs> and remember the time <laughs> it came serious. off. Yeah. If you want to get serious for one sec, I've actually changed <laughs> trained in my jocks before, right? Oh, for a reason. That. That's why. Because when I got tanned for my show oh, and you know this body, the tanning appointment the show was on a Saturday. The tanning appointment was on a Friday, and I could only get one that was early in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I had to train that day. And you said for me to train later in the day after I had some food in me, right? So I literally had to go get a tan, came home, and then had to go train in my jocks because in my luckily it was at home. And I couldn't sit on any other benches or anything like that. So I did everything like standing per se. Um, and in my jocks so I wouldn't sweat and the tan wouldn't run. So, yep, it happens, MG. <laughs> I'm not surprised. It definitely happens. Um Here's another one for you. How do you break up with a client when the client is your mother-in-law? Now, I don't have oh. a mother-in-law, so you guys can answer it, man. Bro, that's hilarious. Uh, How are you going to do it, MG? I'm just thinking about my my mother-in-law is so sweet. How could I break up with her as a client? She's too nice. <laughs> um, my answer is you're not breaking up with your mother-in-law. You're done. You're set with her. Yeah. There's no way out of it. That's it. Yeah, or you, you can Sorry. Do that's extreme, but yeah. You can't do it. The only thing you could do is is you can say, hey, look, I just want to give you an added level of service, and I feel like just because we're so close um, that maybe the accountability is not quite there, so I'm actually going to get – you have to have someone to replace. You can't just get rid of him. You've got to have yeah, a replacement ready to go. 
you're like, this person is actually going to take over. We've already chatted. They're really excited to coach you because they're going to, they're actually, just pretend like they're better. Just go, this coach is actually better than me. <laughs> but I, just, I honestly think you're stuck with your mother-in-law. I, I think you're right. Like there has to be a replacement, a, 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 a next level up option. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's got to be, there has to be. It's the only way up. How do you do it, Scotty? I don't know. To be honest, I don't think my mother-in-law would want to train, would want to train with me. <laughs> But uh, I reckon I'd maybe just buy her an exercise bike or a treadmill and just tell her to just send. Actually, no, I think you're right. You just have to find someone else. You just have to allocate her and maybe just make it that they don't have access to training high-caliber athletes such as yourself. So you'd be doing them a massive favor. I don't know. So It's it's pretty challenging. On that point, Knowing, knowing that and knowing what you guys know, obviously you've been a coach for a while, do you try to avoid coaching family, close friends, or even someone's best friend? Like if it's like, I don't know, your brother's best friend or something like that? Do you try to avoid coaching people that are super close? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty particular these days with who I will and won't work with, purely just from it wouldn't necessarily matter if they were a close friend. It's more like I've got mates that are like, oh, could you, you know, write me a nutrition or a training program? And I'm like, I'm I'm not going to waste my time. Like mm. they're the sort of people you have a drunk conversation with, they're drunk and you're sober. You're like, yeah, cool, man. I'll talk to you tomorrow. And then I don't even mm-hmm. remember. But mm-hmm. if it was someone that you have a good relationship with and they want to take it serious, I think the only, it just has to be established and it needs to be transparent very early that, you just sort of have to have that line that like business is business and that your friendship is, you know, is y- your friendship and you're keeping the two separate. And I think as long as the two don't cross from a professional service perspective, so it's like, oh, I've got MTs checking today, but I'm a bit tired. I'll just send him a text and say, hey, bro, um, everything was good. I'll catch up with you next week. And that's obviously not really good enough. So I think as yeah. long as there's standards and there's expectations on both part and that that's communicated, then I probably wouldn't really see that to be a problem. But I mean, in our circle, I think the people that will, my closest sort of circle are all, most of them are pretty heavily involved within this sort of sport. I've got friends that aren't involved in in bodybuilding, but they're more or less involved in some sort of sport or football. But um, yeah, I think that's probably the, the way that you you would go about it. What about you guys? Yeah, I, I, I kind of a little bit from both, I suppose. Like, so, like anyone whose family of mine that trains at the gym, and same with Meve's family, will typically be coached by like one of the team. But like, like just look, I, like Charlie, for example, right? Best mates, I coach Charlie. Never misses a beat. Never misses a check in. Every week, the data's there, and the check in is always done in, in exactly the same way. And then post all of that, you know, the the friendship um, continues. So I think you're spot on. Like we both know what the expectation is from that side of the relationship. Um, that, you know, we both want the same outcome, right? I want to see him at his best. He wants to be his best. Um, but, you know, we can still manage a friendship around it. So I think it can be done, but it, it takes a certain type of personality. I agree. On both ends, like from the coach yeah. and also from the athlete. Um, yeah. And it's also like how bad that person wants the goal. Like, um, you know, obviously you guys know Charlie well and he wants it bad. So it's very easy from that side of things. If it was someone who was like, the data was average. It's only there every so often. You're always chasing. It would be very hard to maintain the friendship and be the coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think my first um, initial inclination is to refer them on to someone else. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, it, 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 you'd really have to convince me. Yeah. Because if they can find someone that's as good as me or better, then that's going to be better. It's going to be better for them, right? Is this the pitch you're giving to your future mother-in-law? Is it? <laughs> but in saying that too, is you can have a someone that starts off as, as a client and then becomes a good friend of yours. I think that's okay, and that's like Charlie and and yeah. so and so on, yeah. uh, which is fine. But then I've also had people that have come to me for coaching and have found it hard to break up with their coach, right? Because they've developed a friendship with them, and I always say to them. We're all professionals here, right? If that coach is professional and you have a conversation with them, they should treat it professionally, right? And it's nothing against them or your friendship with them. It's professional. If you're trying to achieve a goal that they can't help you obtain, 
then you need to go somewhere else to do it, right? So I've actually had that a couple of that couple of those scenarios this year. Yeah. And I said it's okay. Like, do the right thing by them. Give them yeah. plenty of time, plenty of notice, and they should act professionally. Yeah. What about as a coach? Like, just double into that a little bit further as well. I was like, mm-hmm. you ever had a consult with someone who's working with someone like, and everything that they've kind of achieved together up to that point has actually has actually been pretty good. Like you're like, geez, you guys got these decent results. Yeah. And you think potentially it's just someone who thinks the grass might be greener on the side, but there's not really anything additional in terms of what you might offer other than relationship. How do you approach that? What conversation do you have with that type of new client? Like, have you ever, and have you come across that before? Cause I have. Yeah. I always think, have they given that coach, enough time and enough of opportunity to get you to where you need to be right because yeah. sometimes people will stop and change too early and not give it a chance yeah i think the grass is always greener so i've had that conversation be like you know what you should stay with your coach stay with the coach for another season and see how you go yeah. because i feel like they've done a good job from where you've where you started to where you are now and i think they deserve to to um to have another opportunity or, or to continue with that right so I've definitely had those conversations with people. I've had conversations with people recently um, where they wanted to do comp prep, but they haven't really done a lot of training in the gym. And I was like, find a PT in your area, right? Because this person lived a bit far away. Do PT with them. Learn how to train first. Then when you're comfortable and you're ready, then come and talk to me. And those people have come back like six months later. and said, I'm ready. I'm ready now. Okay, cool. No dramas. So sometimes as the coach who could potentially take on a new client, you need to not worry about the fact that you're getting a new client and maybe a bit more income. Do the right thing by people because they'll always come back. They'll always remember, oh, Michael gave me really good advice. I'll go back to him. Or I gave my other coach an opportunity. Now the next person is going to be Michael or whatever that may be. So just try to do the right thing by people and put yourself in their shoes too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is, well, that, is that what you're thinking, MG? Is yeah, it's just like, right? you know, there's you know people who sometimes you have a catch up and you're like you know you maybe you've had one season and you started from you know a position of say you know not not a crazy amount of muscle and, and you know body fat percentage you know reasonably high and you've actually gone through prep and got some really really good results and there's really nothing else you could have done in that one season together yeah that you know sometimes you know maybe having another season is I wouldn't say like the right thing to do because at the end of the day, if the relationship or the if the personality side doesn't work, I, I reckon that's a different story. Yeah. But I think it's like, oh well, I didn't win my pro card or win the overall in my first season. I need to get another coach. Yeah. And I just think that's not a good attitude to have. It's yeah. like, where did you start? Where did you get to? Objectively, mm-hmm. if someone else looked at that, would they say, "Hey, that was a really, really good season"? What do we know as coaches, right? The longer you work with someone, the more you start to understand. Like mm-hmm. from peak one to peak two, like um, you know what type of nutrition systems you respond to, when you need breaks, whether you use cardio or not. Like, there's so many things that you get better and better at over time. Yeah. And sometimes one go at it, you know, isn't necessarily always going to be enough. Yeah. Because everyone's so different, you know, genetically, metabolically, like, um, and it takes us time to kind of adapt to that as well, right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So. You know what? I kind of feel sorry for those coaches in a way, the ones where they do, they build someone from ordinary to extraordinary, right? And then that person moves on and the next coach gets all the credit. Yeah. Fuck, <laughs> that's hap- like, we know how that shit happens, right? Because we know the coaches that have those clients and whenever we say, whenever someone says to me, oh my God, have you seen, that coach is amazing. I was like, mm, go and have a look at their clients, right? And actually find out when they went to that person and who their coach was before that and the transformation they had then. That's the real person. That's the person that did all the fucking hard work. That person just did the cherry on top, which really any stupid coach could have done the cherry on top for someone that's already amazing. Yeah. We, we say that all the time. And people have built businesses on that. So that's all good. Um, All right. Next one. Uh, Which ab or core exercise do you prescribe for fitness girls? But let's also talk bikini mod as well. But there's a difference, right? Because fitness, we want to see six-pack abs. Bikini, we don't, right? So how do you kind of tackle it, MG? Ab exercises for female athletes. Yeah, so I do... uh... 
like a, I wouldn't even call it a day, but like uh, a rest day protocol of like some stabilization and some strengthening core stuff. But if I had to pick like one exercises, probably leg raises is my kind of go-to. And I think we did, we speak about like ab volume on an episode recently. I think I feel like we did about like the, the amount of sets per week that's Maybe. sort of required. Um, but that would be my go-to if I had to pick one. Yeah. Yeah. How, how would you, if you if you had to pick multiple, and had to give them like a like a bunch of core exercises. How much emphasis would you have on it, and would it depend if they're bikini or not, or maybe fitness? Yeah, so I would probably say like I would double the volume if it was fitness versus bikini, but I reckon bikini I still would utilize, um, you know, probably four to six sets of like proper ab work per week, and then like a day of just like strengthening stabilization type stuff, like mm-hmm. you know, bird dogs, planks, that type of stuff. Yeah. I think yeah. there's kind of two, splitting into two parts. One is like stabilizing exercises for yeah. like injury prevention and also sure. just general, um, you know, core activation and holding your core in during poses because it's static holding, right? So that's like super important. And then the next is the visible, the visual aspect of the abs, right? So you met, you met, um, my client on Friday, bikini athlete, who has done way too many ab exercises and she's got six pack popping out, right? And I said insane, to her, insane six pack, like she's like no more, <laughs> no more ab exercises for you. <laughs> Stop, right? So there's a level of development that someone may need, which would be the traditional ab exercises, you know, the sit ups, the crunches, the leg raises, all that kind of stuff. And then there's the injury prevention, stability, slash static holding for posing. Um, I think those ones there are important regardless, and you'd probably have them always in a program. Um, I think the ones that are more aesthetic would really depend on the individual. It's going to be more important in a fitness girl um, than a bikini athlete. But, um, but yeah, actually, so I went to the workshop on on Sunday, and Slim Tom was there, you know, the waist trainer dudes. Yeah. So I didn't realize that that's actually an Aussie product. And, um, but you got all like Miss Olympia's wearing it, right? But it's an Aussie product. And I actually met the guy uh, that owns it, um, super nerd. And we got along really, really well <laughs> because he was talking about like the manufacturing process and how he made it. I was like, dude, I'm an ex engineer. So I know what you're talking about. So then he just went on, he just went like straight into like metallurgy and how they bend it and like, you know, all this. I was like, okay, cool. Um, but, anyways, I said to him, I said, do you believe in the product? Like, I, I get it, you're making it, but like, do you believe in the waist trainer? And he thought the same way I thought, which was he thinks that it may have a, a place for shrinking the area or shaping the area, but it's more about teaching people to keep things tight, right? And having the feeling of where how the core needs to sit especially when you're posing and he said it's kind of useful when if you wear it when you pose and you know how flat your abs should be how and how should you should stand up nice and straight nice and tall right when you take it off once you've been practicing with so long you kind of hold that position so it's training you to hold a position and that's the kind of what i feel about them too it's training you to hold a position whether it actually shrinks and changes the size of your waist by the pressure of it, I think is probably debatable. Um, but I think it's more about training you to hold a position is probably where I kind of see where it could potentially work. And if you have the money and you want to try, then go ahead. Do I think it's 100% necessary and you should waste your money on it? De- debatable. What about you guys? What about you, Scotty? Because I know you probably like to get in the weeds about that kind of stuff and all the fancy new stuff that comes out on the market? Uh, I don't, if you want to, I, I don't, I personally think it's kind of a waste of money, but it, I, I get what you're saying in terms of you adapting and acclimating to wearing it and learning to breathe and to pose while staying tight. Cause one of the biggest issues with people, and this is why I make all of my athletes undertake posing conditioning weeks and weeks out, because if you're in a tough lineup and they, the judges make you work, after like one round of quarter turns, you can tell who's practicing, who hasn't. As soon as you start, especially with the guys, 
you see some distension, breathing's really bad, they lose tightness through the midsection versus if you're wearing this thing all day, every day, then, I mean, I've never worn one of those corsets, so I can't, um, I can't I, give I, any... I, I chucked one on, yeah. Did you? Okay, so I can't give feedback, but, yeah. um, but I would presume that you it would be very uncomfortable at first as you're just being sucked in all day, but then if you were trying to breathe and stay sucked in whilst you're on stage, then there would be some form of adaptation that would allow you to be able to do that at a at a better level. But the alternative that you could probably elicit the same result by just practicing your posing, controlling your breathing, mm-hmm. getting super, uh, super shredded. Everyone thinks like you got to flex your abs so hard when you're on stage. If you're truly shredded, like you don't really need to tense or flex through the midsection at all. If you're posing right mm-hmm. and you create those illusions, like you, your physique will show itself off you know, anyway, unless obviously it's a, an abs and thighs pose. So I think if you're new to the game, you're better off spending that money towards something that's perhaps going to give you a bit more, you know, p- towards getting a better coach or towards perhaps some enhanced recovery or being able to, you know, spend money to buy better quality produce, food, whatever it may be, yeah. um, rather than buying a corset. What, what are they retail for, out of curiosity? Uh, about 100 bucks, 100 Okay, so they're not that expensive. Yeah, and... I think the naming of it is correct. It's a waist trainer because it mm-hmm. trains you to do something. If it was called like a waist shrinker or a waist contour or something, then I'd be like, fuck that. It, I think it's more because I put it on and it was a female one because I don't have male ones, even though they said that males wear those ones. I put it on, yes, immediately it makes me stand up tall. Immediately it makes me pull my waist in. I was like, cool, this I, I get it. It makes sense. But he was saying to me they've got to bring a male-specific one out because with the female one, the way it's shaped is like an hourglass, right? It's like comes in in the middle and it comes back out, right? Whereas with the guys, you don't want an hourglass per se. You want like a V, right? So the way they're going to create their ones is more like a V shape for the guys. So it comes down, 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 down. Uh, whereas the females, it comes in in the middle, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah. Um, yep. So I said to him, I go, as soon as you have that one out and ready, just let me know because I'll, I'll definitely give it a shot and try it out. So, you're walking around my waist trainer, bro. You want to be seen, seen with me while I got my waist trainer? <laughs> Man, between that and the sumo outfit, I'll tell you what, I'm, you know what, I, I want to, all I can think about is Trimboli in a lace corset because Scott keeps saying corset and I'm just picturing like, you know, big voluptuous boobs and like tied up at the back, Trimboli walking around. That's what I'm room. thinking about. You know, on those those <laughs> movies where the, the like the, what are they called? Like the old yeah, school like the cowboy Westerns. movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Girls get sucked in like the girl wears on Titanic. Yeah, that's that's what I want to see. MT training in that. That's yeah. Well, they said you can use it for training. So when I put it on, he's like, I don't know, like bend over like you're doing an RDL, and I did that, and it flexes, right? It flexes. So you wouldn't use it as a weight belt, like you know, it's not gonna. It may hold you tight, but I wouldn't rely on it for someone that lifts heavy. If you're doing heavy squats and de- like I wouldn't go, yeah, my waist trainer's gonna do the job for me. It's it's not, but. I get it if someone trains at the gym with it just to have it on for a longer period of time throughout the day. Yeah. I get that. But um Can we, hey. interesting. And there's some people in my team that have them. And Can we, yeah. Yeah. Just a, a shout out to Timsy, our unofficial graphic designer. Next photo, Trimboli in a call set <laughs> for the next our next ad that we do. Hey, if um if I'm gonna wear it, right? And for my comp and um I'm going to praise that. I'm not going to praise you, Scotty, for getting me shreds. I'm going to split yeah. time. That's fair. You know what? And then everyone will just say that the waistcoat plays or whatever it's called, the waist <laughs> trainer. Yeah, it's like, hey, who coached you for the comp? Waist trainer. Yeah, yeah. slim time. Slim time. Yeah. <laughs> so can I have many- they, could, they could sponsor you. You could say, I'm Michael Trimboli and I and I endorse the waist trainer. And then they'll just have a, a an up-close, just slow-mo video of just those washboard abs. Yeah, Definitely. Mm-hmm. So, yep, it's done. So, um, so if I wear it, can I eat as many pop tarts as I want? Of course you can. Of course. Yeah, you don't need to diet at all, bro. You just wear that and you yeah. turn up, put some tan yeah. on. That's the best. Um, all right. What is a typical glute and ham day? I could, I could bring one up on the screen. I literally just before we logged on there, I had one up on the screen. Go, go, talk, talk us through it. So, I. Oh no! I was going to say half the people don't, can't. Don't, don't I'm bring not. Up, but I'm gonna bring it up. I'm gonna bring it up for myself because no okay, one can. Cool. I'm literally talking through one right now, right? Okay, cool. So, 
I would split. I would have two. Two. I'm just going to assume it's like female. Yep. Say bikini sports, something in that vicinity, right? Yep. So I would have two leg days, right? One that I would say is like glute ham focused. One that is like quad glute focused as well. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read it to you. From the program itself. No surprises. All right. Barbell RDLs. Yep. And I'll, gi- I'll give you an idea. I mean, the volume of this person is not really relevant to anyone else because um, it's it's just relevant to this athlete's current position. But barbell RDLs, three sets, 10 reps, eight mm-hmm. to 10 reps. Mm-hmm. From there, we move to – this is a growth phase, by the way. This is a growth phase. From there, we move to barbell hip thrust, in this, which this block we're doing four sets of eight to 10 reps. Mm-hmm. Then we move to seated hamstring curls, four by 12. Then we do single leg leg press, three by 12 per leg. From there, we move to a double leg leg press, two sets, 10 to 12 reps. Mm -hmm. Glute ham raise, four sets, 12 reps with pause. And then I have on this person's program, two by 20 of adduction slash abduction machine superset. Okay. Cool. So it's got it's got a bit of quad in it too. So it's glute ham and quad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just just through the leg press. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. 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 So, I mean, what's the other day look like? So the other day will be like far more squat based. Yep. With obviously leg extensions in there. So uh, again, I'll read it out to you, give you an idea. So we actually start with uh, a higher rep leg press. From there, mm-hmm. we we do three sets. So we do two sets of ten, and then we have a back off set where we pull the weight back, and we do up to twenty reps. Mm-hmm. Hack squat four by eight, leg extension four Ooh, by twelve. So leg press then a hack squat. Yep. Wow. Yep. Leg press then hack squat. Hack squat second. Leg extension four by twelve. Then Bulgarian split squats two sets at the moment two by twelve for leg. And then we're just trying to bring up the lower part of the quad for this athlete. So we've got some heel elevated Smith squats, full range mm-hmm. of motion. Um, some leg press calf raises in there as well. And on this day, we do adductions again, just because we're a little weak in the adductor here. So with that, with that Bulgarian split squat, would that be a, a shorter stance to bias quad or much, a length? Mu- no, no, much shorter stance. Okay. Much shorter stance, yeah. So you're looking so for knee, quad, knee not, toe? Not glue, definitely, definitely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and we, we, we also like for this athlete, so I don't know, Scott, I know what you do. So I use one, I use one dumbbell in a split squat mm-hmm. on the leg that's up on the bench. Okay. For stabilization with a closer stance and potentially the the a little bit of assistance maybe with a dowel pole or something mm-hmm. if needed. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, yeah, that's a good point. So when you're doing lunges, even step-ups, what do you use? Two dumbbells, one dumbbell, yeah, yeah. a bar, a Smith machine, wherever that may be. Even if you're doing single-legged deads, like so it can be ham, ham movements or quad movements. Um I think it really, not really, but I think one of the factors is going to be how strong that person is, right? So if they're going to carry some heavy-ass dumbbells and it's one dumbbell, it's going to be a big dumbbell, right? They're super strong, right? So you either carry one 20-kilo dumbbell or two 10s, right? Or if they're fatigued and it's comp prep and it's like deep in prep, I'd say chuck a bar on your back or use a Smith machine because the last thing they want to do is hold some fucking dumbbells in their hands. They're able to put on their back. And I know that's how I was in my prep. I was like, fuck holding these dumbbells or I'll put the bar on my back and do a lunge, right? Um, So I think that's going to be one of the bigger factors. Now, say that wasn't a factor, then yeah, there is a reason why you would have a dumbbell in one hand to counterbalance or to force the glutes to work a little bit harder to stabilize because you're off balance with the dumbbell in one hand only so there's like method to madness there or if they're not very good at their balance you might give them two dumbbells and then they'll really pass that dumbbell over the balancing leg right so they really center themselves over that balancing leg um or if they're really really bad with their balance then you give them a smith machine or holding on to a dow pole or a pole or something like that but yes. what that's probably the first thing i think about is how strong are they and is holding onto a dumbbell going to be their limiting factor or how sure. fatigued are they going to be at that point in time and then yeah. make a selection there? Yeah, I would agree. I, I would say like there's definitely like there's – I don't think there's a, a best one best way for it. 
just depends on the athlete. Like this person's in like peak off season right now, yeah. um, and won't be limited by holding that dumbbell. But you can see that we've got other movements in there that allow for greater load, like a Smith squat and things like that. So, um, and you notice that this person is not currently doing barbell squats. So again, mm-hmm. and not doing conventional deads either, because you don't want to thicken the waist, bro. That's why. Well, we haven't bought the slim tum yet. So <laughs> until I buy it, I'm not. I don't want that risk, man. It's just. So if you have a slim tum, you're allowed to do squats and deads. Right. It'll keep the. It, of course, you're not going to blow the waist up at all, man. But you can't. You still can't work to like. You you, you can't go to like one or two reps in the tank. You've you've still got to leave four to five. Otherwise, your waist will get massive, man. Massively thick. You know. You know. You know. Deadlifts actually grow the pelvis, the bone. <laughs> Fact. Oh fuck! I love it. Just um, for anyone who that has, is anyone's just new listeners, we we are just shit stirring. We're shit stirring. We're definitely shit stirring. Don't stop um, deadlifting. Anything on that, Scotty? Gluten ham day? Anything you want to add? No, not really. I think it depends Scott, on the Scotty's having a belt squat because he's fucking got one in his gym. Yeah, yeah I'm a big fan of the, the yeah. belt squat and even the V squat. I yeah, I yeah, I love the V squat too. I I used to be very like. I've always loved, you know, sticking a heavy bar on your back and squatting heavy. But I think the older you get, perhaps the further you go in this game, it's more like I just view every exercise as a tool. And so every, you know, at what stage do you need to use which tool? Um, But I'm a big fan, especially now that I have um, a Smith in my gym. I'm a big fan of that with a lot of the unilateral based movements or if you're looking at say a split squat type um, variation movement, just because it takes a lot of the neural um, stress that comes with like, say you're deep in prep and you've got to hold heavy dumbbells versus if you've got a Smith, like it takes that balance um, Mm -hmm. out of it and allows you to focus on biasing stress where you want it to go. And obviously there's the, the, the no brainer that you'll usually be able to, to load up a little bit more. So again, you can distribute more load to, to the targeted tissue. But I think the biggest thing is with volume, not going crazy early on, like especially with young athletes, most of the time they'll be like, oh, when I first, if I start working with someone that's younger, oh, I feel like it's not really that much volume. And I'm a big advocate that you want to be able to get the most out of what you can from doing the very bare minimum. Because if you just start throwing tons and tons and tons of volume, and I think it's, it's perhaps a younger generation thing because they see all of these IFBB guys that are doing like 30 different, you know, sets or exercises. But I think it's just, you know, what amount of volume do you need at each specific time? And given the specific phase of training uh, the, that you're in, but typically for a glute ham day or if it was a quad glute day, you're typically going to have one for me, one big major compound, which, um, is typically going to be a heavier work. It might be two sets, max, it might be three. And then you might have something that's a little bit less neurally taxing. It could be an, an adduction machine or it could be a seated or a lying hamstring curl, whatever it may be. And then similar with your glutes, you know, it depends how you want to hit it and what area of the glute you're trying to bias, some variation of a hip thrust. Um, and it also depends on the individual's physique. If you've got someone that's got crazy good glutes, but they're lacking in their hamstrings, then... They might have a glute hamstring session. They might only have four sets of glutes and they may have 10 to 12 sets of hamstrings because that's where the volume needs to go. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. But like, I think if you see from that day, if anyone like did any calculations while I was talking, that program for that specific athlete would start somewhere like around the 20 sets mark and potentially build up as high as maybe 25, 26 at the peak of the block before a change in program. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, pretty much the same as you boys um and i'm just like what you said scotty about different areas of the glutes so i'm really focused on that too making sure that the glute exercises there's all different types to target all the different areas mm-hmm. and giving enough volume for all those areas too and depending on what that person needs to build up like for instance there may be someone in their front pose right they have good glute projection right so i'm from you know the side on the glute looks has a good projection but then in their back pose they don't have good width in their glutes, right, from the back. Like there's not that peach, right, that roundness from the back. Mm-hmm. So therefore you'd have to add in uh, abductions, right? A lot more abductions than you would a kickback or a good hyperextension or a thrust, right? There'd be a lot, a lot of abduction, abduction work. So 
Um, sometimes assessing the physique and knowing what it needs more of and less of is, is important, especially because glutes are such a big focus too for females. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, so it's I think important for females yeah. to remember as well that if you want to grow glutes, a big part of it, yes, is the training, but you've also got to fuel your body. So you need to have that time and be willing. Like, I want to stay lean, but I want big glutes. Well, mm -hmm. which one do you want to have more? Like, yeah, and that's yeah. why we speak about the importance of utilizing that improvement season, having enough energy on board so that you can actually accrue new tissue. Yeah. And, and expose that tissue to a, to a greater stimulus. Yeah. We, um, we got a question which we'll quickly touch on it kind of to do with what we're talking. If you have a difference in your quad size, this person had an injury and fixing that, I think we mm -hmm. kind of touched on it a bit. It's got to do a lot to do with like unilateral movements. Um, obviously if there's an instability there, um, you might not want to do things that require um, – I'd say I'd probably say like if I was to choose between a barbell squat or a hack squat where it's more stable, you can put your pressure through the floor more equally or know how much pressure you're putting through the floor and be more con um, aware of that. I'd probably yeah. get that person to do more of those kind of movements too before they go something a bit more complicated like a barbell squat. But I think a lot of single leg movements is going to be important too. And even single leg isolation movements. Um, yeah, and yeah. Always train the weaker leg um, first and always train the, 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 the more dominant leg to whatever the weaker leg can do. So you don't yeah. just continue to create a discrepancy. And if you are coming off a serious type of injury, like say ACL, PCL, like I've had lots of my athletes, not just physique athletes, but um, footballers, basketballers and whatnot um, that have had injuries like that, it's important that uh, your coach, if you're working with someone, is liaising with the allied practitioner. So, for example, I work a lot with Ben Lustig. Um, I know, MG, you know, you're working with Benny as well now. Um, so that if you have someone, for example, say that they've had knee surgery, you know, they're not just going to come back and then just jump straight into bilateral movements because you need to attenuate the difference in not only atrophy but also in strength and stability around that weakened leg so unfortunately it's going to mean that you're going to lose size on both limbs but you need to rebuild that one side so that when um, the time comes and you have got you know equal strength power stability on both limbs that then you can return to bilateral um, and what, what i mean by bilateral so for example say a hack squat or a movement where both feet are on the ground versus you know, doing something that's a single leg hip thrust or a single leg leg press or a single leg extension, single leg hand curl, things like that. Um, and sometimes it means that you you just have to take a little bit more of a patient route, but it's so much better to do it and to do it right the first time, save time, save money, then you get too excited, you come back and you know in your head perhaps it's not quite right. And this is something that we're, everyone's guilty of from time to time. You may even have a little niggle on one side and you're like, oh, I'll just push through it where you probably need to weigh up, is it better if I just shut that down, give it a couple of days, and then obviously pick up where I left off a few days later? Yeah. Um, comp prep question. I think it's a peaking question. Um, I'm not going to read it the way it's written. I'm going to read it how I interpret it because I think it's probably easier to understand it. So the difference between depleting someone, then carving them up, right, or actually feeding them into a show. So having more of a higher carb approach, like a week or two out and just feeding them in, 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 or doing a depletion then and up. Maybe Scotty, you want to talk about, is there a difference? Is there a better, is there, is one better than the other? I think if you're feeding in to the show, then obviously this person is, this athlete's 110% ready to rock. So, and if that is the case, then I wouldn't be, sucking them down to a deficit if they're like shredded glutes are in 100 because the, your, your risk of losing tissue is going to be pretty high but i think it would depend as well on obviously as the training week goes on and uh so say for example it's monday you for me if you're still training with relative intensity up until say about wednesday then there's no issues having a bit more food in but you also want to factor in that you want to try and minimize how much food is going in perhaps at least 24 hours out from a um, from a distension perspective. For example, how much food's in the gastrointestinal tract. 
so that you're nice and flat and you're not uncomfortable and feel like you need a big bowel movement on uh, on on stage. But I think it would just depend if the athlete's ready. If, if you've got someone who's 110%, which it's pretty rare that you'll have someone that couldn't use a little bit more refinement, um, then there'd be nothing wrong with you doing that. And, and then essentially muscle glycogen stores are topped up all the way through. I guess the only thing with that is, are they going to be able to hold that look for two weeks in terms of you might have a day where they just, because of that carbohydrate, they just start to look a little bit watery or spilled versus sometimes when you suck someone down, you flatten them out, you know where their bottom end is. And typically if you've got someone who's 99% ready, you know that if you pull them down for say, even if it's just a day, if I want to peak them for a Saturday and I run uh, a low day on a Tuesday and then I'm just slowly putting a little bit more food in, up until I get to the point by say like a Thursday where I'm like, yep, we're at the limit. And then I can pull back on the Friday because I know that expenditure is going to be very, very low. And again, all that muscle glycogen is still there. The All we need to do is just to turn on the switch and then boom, we're ready to go. But in 95% of cases, I would say most athletes, it's pretty rare that someone's just 100% ready like two weeks out. Yeah. Yeah, so, I think that, do, do you think there was really this old school sort of mentality and methodology of like you just deplete and then you carb up? But I, I think like I think that mindset's wrong. I think if you're like if you're ready and genuinely ready, like Scotty's talking about, you're depleted enough, so you don't then need to try and deplete more just because it's it's what was always done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, feeding yourself up into the show was always going to be like the the better outcome. And I think it was just something that was always done, right? It's like, and a lot of these methodologies came from guys who, you know, were probably using some pharmacology as well, mm-hmm. um, where retaining muscle tissue was a little bit easier than say a natural athlete who continue to push themselves down that hole, the likelihood of chewing tissue becomes higher and higher. So I think if you're genuinely ready two to three weeks out, like Scott's saying, you are depleted. You're, you're, you're ready to start feeding up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Go. There you go. If we were trying to reduce as many factors as possible and say, okay, two weeks out, there's two people, you're identical, right? They're the exact same body fat level, they look exactly the same, everything's identical, right? One, you're going to feed now into the show, and one, you're going to deplete, then carb up. The end result is still the same body fat level, the end result is on stage, right? But the level of fullness might be different because one's going to feed in, one's going to deplete and carb up. Which one do you think would have a better f- fullness on the day? I think I think one carries a lot more risk of getting right. Okay. Yeah, I think like when you're slowly feeding in, right, the ability to assess as you go and make changes becomes a lot easier than running straight down to zero and then trying to get back up to 100. Mm-hmm. I would rather run it. 50, 60, 70, 75, 80, 80, rather than trying to go from zero to 102 to three days. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think choosing the the feed up option is is the better option. And I think that's why most of us try and have an athlete who is ready two to three weeks out. Mm-hmm. The- I think as well, it's important to understand that it's a moving target. So it's very common with two weeks to go, you, your maintenance calories might be... I don't know, say that to be able to just maintain weight, it's 2,800 calories, right? Mm -hmm. And so you know that if you eat 2,800 calories, you're eating the same foods, fluids the same, training's the same. And again, you're not training super, super hard, say a week out so that you're not going to have any inflammation. Your sleep is the same. All of those things in a perfect world, that's what happens. But I I can tell you, and you guys can attest this as well, when you're super shredded, your sleep isn't 100% perfect. You could do everything normal, but you just wake up and it's like, fucking hell, why am I so stressed today? Or why does my physique just look like it's faded? It it can be very hit and miss unless you're just literally every single element of your day is exactly the same. But it's really rare that in this day and age that that is going to be able to happen. And then not just that, once you achieve that level of conditioning, the risk of things changing within a 24-hour, even on an hour-by-hour basis it's very, very high because your body doesn't want to be at the level of body composition that you have it at. So the, there, there is a, a risk of, for example, like we said, if you're super ready at, at two weeks out, you don't want to be spending any time at least two weeks out in a deficit 
You just want to be able to maintain body weight potentially um, if you know that you want to run a couple of low days at the start of the week. You maybe even push in a little bit more food, say on Friday and the Saturday, then you might go low Sunday, Monday. And when I say low, you might pull down to, if your maintenance is at 2,800, you might suck down to, I don't know, 2,200, right, for two days. And all that that's really doing is potentially taking out some of that muscle glycogen. And then as the your, the week is going on, you're getting a look every single day. How is the physique? Am I filling up? Yep, I'm filling up. But it's pretty rare that it will just go exactly as you want it to be. Mm-hmm. And if, if I use myself as an example, with I had one of the longest preps ever in 2020. When I was a couple of days out, what we had planned for what I was going to need to have from a food perspective was nowhere near enough. Even though I was like super relaxed, like um, I was doing the very bare minimum, my body just was so sucked down that I was having to push in more and more. So I think a couple of days out, it was like I was going to go 550, then maybe 650, and then pull back to 400. And I think I had to go to like 800 and then like 850, and then I pulled back to 500. And then even the night before I went to bed, I was like, I'm starting to flatten out and I had to push in more food as well so that I didn't have to take on as much the morning of. Now, all of those things were trialed and tested like two, three weeks earlier, but things change because yeah. when, when you're at that level of composition, mm-hmm. again, bearing in mind that from a physiological perspective, your body does not want you to be at that state. Yep. Uh, so I think the, yeah. the easiest, most conservative thing would be if you're two weeks out, the, the second last week, you're just sitting at maintenance and then... I think it doesn't hurt to have maybe one, maybe two lower days, and then you're just gradually bringing food back up. But if you feel that if you do that, your physique just, it it doesn't respond in a positive way. Again, this is where it needs to be bespoke to the individual. If you're better, if I've got MT and I know if I drop his food back, he just, it's way too hard to bring him back. Then I'd say, well, all right, we'll just, we'll go, we might have a 2,600 day on a Monday and then we'll go 2,800 on Tuesday, assess the response, assess the look, see where our scale weight is. And then we use that as a proxy. But you would also know from a week earlier, what physique around the same sort of scale weight. So if I know he wakes up at 75 kilos, 75.2, and that was like the most ridiculous look in the morning. And then when he trained later that day, the look was even better then I'm like, all right, sweet. I know that roughly what we've done in that three, four days prior to that is kind of what we need to to replicate. But he might wake up looking awesome, but then when he goes to train, he's just flat as a tack. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I think we're all on the same page, to be honest. I'd, I would like the, if you want to call it feeding in, which may require some, a little bit of a dip and a little bit of a rise on the way in, then a deplete and load because there's more things that can go wrong yeah and also too even if you get it right from a fullness perspective just trying to digest that amount of food that potentially you made it a shovel in may be at a detriment to that athlete and i think from a stress standpoint of that athlete hoping to god the coach knows what the fuck they're doing and they're going to peak them correctly is going to be a lot more of a high stressful situation than if a client is like i'm ready right now and we're not going to do anything um, extreme from now until the show because I'm already looking awesome. And I think that would – and also, too, is if you don't go through those big waves and big changes, it's a little bit easier for the athlete to know what they're doing on a daily basis. And also, it won't affect them, their sleep, their stress, their energy because there's no real big changes. That makes sense. And then even if you talk about, like, from a – logistics perspective their food probably doesn't change that much so they're not having to like prep different things all the time and it's just more like a coasting into the show than to be like holy shit we're going to do this and then we're going to come back up and let's hope that we end up on top by the end of it a lot more things can can go wrong for sure yeah for 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 no good reason if you're already ready and it's the two scenarios where they're they're ready both guys are ready one's going to do a depleting carb and one's going to do a a coasting Yeah. yeah Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, boys. I think we're I think we're about time. It's going mm. fast. It has gone fast. Mm. Um, All that talk about corsets and bloody sumo nappies <laughs> fucking solving the problems of the world we are. I tell you what. Um, yeah, there's there's more questions, but I reckon I reckon we've done them well. I reckon we've done them good. 
I reckon we're good. good uh, that was good potty, boys. Yeah, keep it. sending your questions through, everyone. Thanks for listening, but keep sending the questions through. We will yeah. address everything. I'm oh, guessing that over the next few likes. weeks, as we get closer to a show, there's going to be a few more peak week kind of... Yeah. 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 Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to when shows get closer, people start to ask more peak weeky questions. So we love guys, this stuff. At the season A shows, can confirm we will be in our prep coach jumpers, not our team merch. We are opting for the prep coach jumpers. Yeah, we're going to have some prep coach merch on. So mm-hmm. MG and I will uh, definitely be wearing those so you'll be able to spot us. That's sure. rookies, yeah. And um, I know you guys saw it, the show list. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, that was well sick, done bro. on doing that. You're a legend, man. Yeah. That's that's gonna help so many people. That's gonna help that's gonna help the whole country, man. Yeah. Anyone is like literally anyone who's in this industry should have that list. Yeah. And so, you put it together, man. What an effort, seriously. And it's so accessible for everybody. Yeah. So share it around. If anyone thinks it's gonna be useful to someone, share it around, share it to your coaches, share it to other competitors. Um, and I'll keep that list up to date as shows change, get added. And things like that. So, have you just out of curiosity, have you circled how many of the shows on the whole list you reckon you're going to be attending this year? Oh, that's a good one. I'll be attending most most of the Vic shows for sure. Um, if there's any interstate shows that don't clash with, clash with a Vic show, I'll try to go. Mm-hmm. To also, if I've got clients doing them, or I think they're a bit like, for instance, end of the year is the AMB Nationals with the world titles, and. Uh, I'll definitely be going to that. So that's in Sydney. And so it'll be MG and I doing a little bit of a boys trip. Oh, man. I'm going to miss that. I know. Um, but actually, that list, Scotty, that should have helped you out decide what you're doing because if all the shows are in there and all the shows, you can see what clashes and what works for you too. So Yeah. Yeah. Except that they still – the some of the pro shows haven't been like that. There was potentially an ACT one and WA one hasn't been listed yet. Yeah, I've got no idea about those ones there. Yeah, so I think we just... I, I don't expect I'll hear anything until probably like, I don't know, mid-March or something. Yeah, but at least that listener gives you a good indication of which ones clash and which ones you can do. Yeah, man, yeah. Hey, has Did Stu... That NBA one, is that definitely locked or not? Because weren't yeah. they going to... Oh, so that's definitely locked. It's all locked in, yeah. Everything I thought else. it was like that was still pending um, with the IFBB. No, he reviewed everything that I sent that I had in the list, and he said it's good. Yeah, right. Yeah, he said it's good. Um, the only ones IFBB, some of the different states aren't locked in yet. So I made an assumption based on what it was the previous year, but I know the Vic date is correct. I think the Queensland date is correct, um, and some of the other dates are correct. You, you'll see because some of them are highlighted in grey, meaning I'm not too sure, and the other ones aren't means. I'm 100% certain that's when it's locked in. Yeah, awesome, man. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, you, you posted that, didn't you? Yeah, it's on our, you put in the bio. It's in the bio for yeah. Prep Coach bio. It's there. So you can take a look at it. Yeah, mad. I'll definitely, um, I'm just trying that's to awesome. see if you had the uh, the pro show and I'll have a look at that up there. Yeah. Okay, cool. cool. All right, boys. Yeah, good bro. Thanks, we'll, uh, boys. Up soon. Friday suits, yeah? Yeah, Friday suits. Be there, brother. Looking forward to it, man. Legends. Thanks, Scotty. Thanks, Scotty. See you, boys.